As you'll remember from episode 63, the Fly to Pole team are endeavouring to get several disabled military personnel to the South Pole in microlight aircraft. When the Flying for Freedom team held a sponsor's open day a few weeks ago, I popped down to Kemble Aerodrome for uh, a bit of a catch-up. There I spoke to John Leighty, uh, he was the founder of uh, Flying for Freedom, and asked him how the project was progressing. The team's quick GTR and the prototype Pulsar were there, so I was able to have a, a quick look round uh, and see what they were planning in the way of modifications, and several of the pilots were there too. The long-term aim of Flying for Freedom is to get uh, injured soldiers to learn to fly microlights, and maybe then to go on to become uh, flying instructors. Much of this training has taken place at Kemble, so I was also able to speak with their chief flying instructor, Mike Oakley. So on the podcast, in order, you're going to hear from uh, Alan Robinson, followed by Mike Oakley, and lastly, John Leighty. First off, I asked Alan Robinson, one of the injured pilots on the expedition, and the first to get his flying licence, what his role is currently with the RAF. I'm currently uh, serving with the RAF at RAF Woodington on the uh, AWACS, uh, on the Sentry. Um, at the moment, I'm still waiting to hear whether I will get medically discharged or not. I'm hoping for a positive outcome. I'm hoping to remain in the service. Are you a maintenance guy? Um, <clears throat> I'm uh, airframes and propulsions. Um, initially, when I joined up, I was an airframes technician. Um, and with the RF downsizing, I became a propulsions technician as well, um, which I enjoy. You know, it's a really big, broad trade, uh, and there's a lot of a lot of work to get your teeth into. So I enjoy it. What's proportions? Proportions um, is everything from the engine right into the fuel system, and it also encompasses some of the bleed air system that supplies air to uh, the cabin conditioning systems, that kind of thing as well. Also encompasses um, auxiliary power units, the APUs, and that kind of thing as well. Okay. Well, it was a couple of years ago you had what was it, a motorbike accident? Yeah, I had a, a motorcycle accident a couple of years ago. I uh, lost my leg uh, just above the knee. Um, which was obviously quite a big shock. Yeah. It did make me wonder, you know, when I was lying in hospital, what I would be able to do, what I wouldn't be able to do. Um, but a couple of years on, I'm, I'm doing more or less all the things I used to do, which is fantastic. Now, did you get into flying before, or did you sort of think about joining the, uh, the flight to the Antarctic first and then get into flying after that? Uh, I've always had an interest in uh, aviation. Um, Originally, uh, I, I wanted to join the RF as a pilot, as most people do, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I, after doing my A-levels, my, my father passed away during my A-levels, um, which obviously didn't help too much. Um, so I, I effectively I failed my A-levels, and I was sort of wondering what I would do, which was at the point I joined the RF as a ground crew. Um, but, you know, the, the dream was sort of always sort of in the back of my mind. It was always there. And then I was saving my money up to to do uh, start my flying lessons and then this accident happened I was really sort of you know in my hospital bed wondering is this possible can I still do it is this sort of an opportunity gone and as soon as I got my leg basically I went flying and uh, here I am with a license and you know quite quite proud of it really big achievement. Where did you start flying? I, I started my lessons um, Originally, I had a, a lesson at Old Serum with the Shadow Aviation Centre um, in their adapted aircraft to, just to see if I would be able to do it. And then I went across to Wickenby, which is near home, 
um, flying a, a thruster three-axis aircraft. Both interesting aircraft, aren't they? Shadow is something special, isn't it? The, the performance, I've seen them go up, they like... Uh... Yeah, the Shadow is, considering its age, I mean, it's nearly 30 years old, uh, the performance of a Shadow is incredible. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I wouldn't say it's going to beat a lot of modern aircraft, but it's way ahead of its time. Brilliant aeroplane. So you had a, a few flights in that, and then you went up starting on the thruster at... Uh... Yeah, fly uh, fly three six five. Um, they that you know they said you know they've had disabled people before and it's not going to be a problem and and off we went and oh, we just started plugging away at at the license. Um, often disrupted by weather, as everybody's license is, um, and we just plugged away at the exams and and everything. And I think a lot of people don't realise how big a commitment it actually is. I certainly didn't. So, what stage did you get to when before you noticed the uh, this thing that John Leite's put together? I'd probably done about ten, fifteen hours, I suppose. I probably wasn't too far off going solo in the three axis, um, and I I heard about it through uh, an organisation called Battleback, who um, do a lot of adventurous training for um, wounded, injured, sick uh, uh, guys. And I heard about it, it was flying, it was the South Pole, and what an opportunity, you know? <laughs> so I, 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 I got myself onto it, and, and now here we are. And they had a, it was like a, a trial day down here at Kemble, didn't they? Yeah, they had two, two trial days, um, and they just brought people down um, to see if they had an aptitude for it, to see you know, if they were right for the team. And to be honest, the team has kind of, I think almost picked itself, you know, the personalities and those with the aptitude to, to fly. For me it was kind of strange because I think in a way, in my first flex wing lesson, I think three axis worked against me quite a bit. Yeah? Yeah, because it's all opposites, isn't yeah, yeah, it? So yeah, it's, yeah. it was quite quite difficult to get my head around at first, but we've done it. Good, and you've continued your, your flying down here, you're training on the flexes all at Kemble, was it? Uh, the majority of it was. Um, but I finished my license off in the flex wing at Fly Three Six Five at Wickenby. So yeah, they, they they were brilliant up there, you know. And I, I, being disabled, I think I don't think they I don't think anybody has sort of said, oh, you know, he he's going to have trouble, so we'll sort of let him off a little bit. I think people have um, recognised what we're doing, and I think the standards probably they've wanted a higher standard, so. It's good, good for future flying. What was it about flying to the South Pole that attracted you? Because it is going to be really tough, isn't it? Even, you know, just being there would be tough enough but actually flying a, a light aircraft. Obviously being flying, it was something that sort of caught my attention. And the fact it's somewhere that... Who on earth goes to the South Pole? It's, it's you know, it's, <laughs> true. it's yeah. something that I will never, ever, ever get the opportunity to do again. So it's an opportunity that I just couldn't miss. Now I think there's going to be like a team going and only maybe a couple of guys may get to fly to the pole. Are you sort of hankering after getting there yourself or would you just be happy enough to have it flown on the uh, the continent? Oh, I want to go to the pole. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest, I want to go to the pole. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, I'm quite quite a determined fellow so I'll put my case forward I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Nobble some of the other guys. <laughs> Well, to be honest, I've got my licence first, so I think I'll put me at the front of the queue. <laughs> Seems fair. <laughs> I think so. Um, has your uh, ha has the aircraft had to be modified in any way for you? Um, our team aircraft is now a, a modified aircraft, but uh, up until the 
that you know the time that we got the team aircraft I was flying completely standard aircraft um, the only other adapted aircraft I've flown was the Shadow just for the rudder pedals mm -hmm. but um, it, it it's a little bit more tricky uh, using the hand throw because I can't use the foot throw with my prosthetic leg um, it's a little bit more tricky and the only time it really could catch me out is if I have to do a go round um, on a landy you know if it's windy or something like that it makes it a bit of a handful but other than that it's you know flying a normal aeroplane really yep. and how about your leg it looks pretty high tech is that going to stand up to the cold or do you take a special leg uh, well um, Pace prosthetics are, are sort of on board and they're looking at it. They um, aren't really sure. They think it probably won't work because of the oil and the seals. Probably won't be able to stand the temperature. It's got pneumatics in there, like it, it's a, a hydraulic oil piston, um, and they think the oil will get a bit too thick, and um, which will obviously affect the way that it walks. Um, so they might have to come up with a solution. Effectively, it might even be something like a just literally a peg leg. Um, but that's you know something we're, we're going to have to look at when we do our cold weather testing, hopefully in uh, early part of next year. What's the plan for cold weather? They were going to go up to the Arctic, was it, or northern Russia or something? Yeah, we're, we're uh, hoping to go up to northern Russia or um, sort of northern Scandinavia, Sweden or, or Norway, probably Sweden, uh, in the early part of next year. I think it's sort of February they're planning. Yeah. Um, it's effectively it's cold enough. It's um, in February you get enough light, you're getting about eight hours of daylight, so we should be able to do some uh, meaningful work out there. Now I've interviewed John Leite in the past and he says the flight to the Antarctic is only a, like a minor part of this whole project, you know, the flying for freedom thing. What does that sort of mean to you other than the, the, the flying to the, the South Pole? I think um, in a way the most exciting, exciting part about the whole thing is the, uh, is the flying for freedom, the legacy project where um, in the future, the aircraft will be used to to fly and train other uh, battle backers, and um, possibly, uh, hopefully, each year they'll do a a trip, maybe into Europe or, or mm -hmm. whatever, um, and take these people that have trained all year uh, and um, take them on a on a European trip or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the most exciting thing for me is there's uh, the scope and the possibility of. Um, Progressing and becoming an AFI and uh, actually teaching some of the battleback guys—that's that's quite an exciting thing for me. I guess you're lucky in a way that you can keep working for the RAF with your disability. Yeah. Um, I guess for some of the other guys that are, you know will be discharged, then this is a, you know, a route back into doing something meaningful, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's um, you know a lot of people with disabilities do lose a lot of confidence and that kind of thing and. Um, one of the best things about flying as a disabled person is um, it's a complete leveller. You know, in the aircraft, nobody knows that you're disabled, and you know, you get tr air traffic treat you the same, other aircraft treat you the same. It's a complete leveller, you know, and it's it's one of these things where the disability just disappears, mm -hmm. which is fantastic as a disabled person. You know, and for me, you know, a lot of people comment with flying about. Um, the, the freedom of it and for me it's freedom from my disability which is the best thing yeah 
Have you ever been anywhere really cold, you know, like minus 40, whatever it's going to get to? Uh, I think the coldest I've experienced. Um, yeah, you, you're living Scunthorpe, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, it gets a bit grim up there. The, I think the close, the coldest I've experienced is about minus 14, 15, so nowhere near where we're going, but that was cold enough. <laughs> I, I can't convince them to do a, a trip to the Caribbean, which is a little bit unfortunate. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I'm ever going off on a, like a long trip somewhere, I always wake up in the night and I you know, have cold sweats and I think I shouldn't really be doing this, you know, flying single engine over water or something. Do you ever sort of wake up in the night and think, no, this you know, it's a crazy adventure, this? Not at all. The, the, the flying doesn't worry me because I, I know I'm in control of my own destiny. If the weather's bad, you know, I won't fly. I'm fully aware that I'm very low hour pilot at the moment, so... Um, I don't want to put myself into a tricky situation, you know. I, I, I've, I've, you know, been splattered on the Lincolnshire countryside once already uh, through my bike accident, and I've no intention of repeating that at all. How many hours have you got now? I've done about ninety hours in total now, um, but that's split three axis and flex, so um, I'm kind of quite inexperienced in both, I, I guess. It comes to that point when you just think you know what you're doing, isn't it? I think when you get to be in the Doing call it the killing zone, you know, after a hundred hours when you you think you're competent, but you get a bit blase. Yeah, definitely. I, I've, I've experienced this a, a little bit already. Once um, I, I did my my cross country flights uh, before my test, I thought, brilliant, I'm getting the angle. This it's easy. Um, I'm the bee's knees at this. And then I went away and did my test, and I got rapidly uh, torn apart and taught that actually I am just a beginner at this. So uh, I was I was brilliant of Malcolm. Um, at Fly365, he sort of put me right back in my place, which is brilliant. And the the other thing with that was the, the oral. Um, my first question on the oral was, um, explain about the propeller. And I do not know to this day what I said, but it was complete and utter bullshit. <laughs> it really was. And, you know, it, in my trade, I could tell you all about it. I could bore you to tears with it. But on that day, after the flight, my head was completely gone. Yeah. And... Uh, and so I, I just waffled. <laughs> but we got through it, so that's the main thing. <laughs> Isn't it tiring flying? I mean, I, I flew for four hours on Monday, and I, I don't think I've recovered, and this is like you know, <laughs> a week later. Yeah, it is, um, it is tiring. I, I think that's going to be one of um, the big difficulties of the trip, because as a, a disabled person, uh, as an amputee, you burn energy up a lot quicker, uh, so you fatigue quicker. And um, so f flying is very... It's something we're going to have to be very careful of when we're out there. And you'll be camping as well under a little tent somewhere? Yeah, we, we, I think the aspiration at the moment is we'll be using the um, aircraft as a structural part of the tent. Uh, mm. The tents have yet to be developed. Um, and we'll be using those effectively as a backbone and we'll be sleeping beside the, the aircraft. So you have to take the wing off, fold it, yeah, roll it, every bury it? Every time we stop flying for the day, we'll be derigging the aircraft, um, which, if you've ever derigged a flex wing um, in thick gloves, that's going to be a big challenge. Mm -hmm. So we've got to do a few modifications to some of the pins, some of the keepers and that kind of thing, um, so that it's going to be an achievable task in, in the cold with gloves on. Um, and it, it's just another aspect of the trip, which is like, one of the technical difficulties. Uh, do you think you'll stick with flex wing after you finish this? I think I've I've learnt to fly in both. I'm current as a, a flick swing and a, a flex wing pilot. 
and I think I'll always enjoy flying both. Um, I don't really have a preference for either. On a day like today, today is a beautiful, sunny, calm day. I'd pick the Flixwing any, any, you know, first out of the two. But on a wet, windy, horrible, cold day, I think I'd rather be in a three-axis aircraft. Yeah. Do you think if you take the Pulse R, there'll be a heater in there? I've heard mentioned. Someone said there will be, and someone said, no, we don't want a heater. I think that'd be a lovely idea, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> I think technically it's probably achievable. Um, whether it would be necessary or not, I'm not entirely sure. But it, I think I think the way we'll probably go would be heated suits and mm -hmm. gloves. Okay. Right. Well, thank you very much, Alan. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm with. My name's Mike Oakley, and I work at Kemble Flying Club, and I'm the chief flying instructor for the Flying for Freedom. Uh, I think John Leighty actually learnt to fly here, didn't he? He did. He learnt with David Young, who's the chief flying instructor of Kemble Flying Club many years ago. And he's got to revalidate his licence, so he'll be one of the people we'll be, I will be teaching. Now, you've been sort of instrumental in training most of the, the pilots that are going on this expedition, haven't you? Yes, I have, yeah, all, all of them so far. Hopefully young Tom will be assisting me when I'm not available. But I do with all the people, and we've got uh, all sorts of injuries. We've got uh, one chap with one leg, one with missing, one with two legs missing, one with one arm missing, one with one disabled arm, and a lady who's not really got the use of legs, even though they're there, mm -hmm. and so on. So it's all everyone, every single one is different. How have the sort of different disabilities um, presented themselves with regard to you know, how they can cope with flying a, a flex wing? Well, initially we had lots of problems because we only had a conventionally laid out flex wing microlight. And now we've, with uh, help from sponsors, we've got an adapted aircraft. That has made life a lot easier. What is surprising is that really once we've got the adapted aircraft it doesn't really make any difference we actually are or i am finding that um, it's just like teaching an able-bodied person so we're actually progressing as quickly if not in some ways slightly quicker than the average guy off the street don't know why that is maybe there's an extra level of determination involved because we've got an end goal to get to the south pole something like that but we are definitely um, progressing well, considering the other problem, the other disadvantage we got is that they're spread throughout the country and the aircraft is here at Kemble. What sort of uh, adaptations of the aircraft have you had to make? The aircraft has got uh, an extra throttle on the control bar in front of you, which is a hand throttle like on a motorbike. We've got steering, the the rear foot steering bar has got an extension on it so it can be used by hand and on there is a brake, a hand brake. So basically someone could have no legs and they could operate everything. We've also got, of course, we do use more than normal the conventional hand throttle which is usually used for cruising or for the instructor in the back and some people use that. The Probably the biggest disability would be the arms because flying flex wing is quite mm. physical I can imagine yeah so they're the ones we were most worried about 
Now, what Chapel has one arm missing completely. Uh, I've only flown with him once so far, I think. So I have to await to find out how that goes. But the other um, candidate who has got a weak right arm, he was shot in the chest. His arm is working, uh, but basically it's like steadying. And, mm -hmm. and he is progressing... Uh, all credit to him faster than average definitely faster than average I think from memory we've done about 14 or 15 hours and he probably could go solo now which is quicker than most yeah. people normally do it for a complex yeah. aircraft I would imagine flying with one arm only is really tough on a, a flex wing there's a lot of power, you know you need a lot of power side to side don't you it is and I, that's why I was thinking this isn't going to work but I suppose looking at it from their point of view their whole life they're having to compensate with the mm. one arm and do the work of two arms and so if you're determined to carry on you can either give up yeah or you can just say no i'm just going to work hard and and so far that's what's happened and so all i care about is the results you know if they're managing to fly in reasonably horrible weather and still arrive at the same place on the runway and flare and land gently that's all I can ask. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, we virtually ignore the any disabilities and focus on the person because it is actually the biggest process for most students is the mental process, believing that they can do it and yeah. uh, listening to the instructor and actually following instructions. How much do you think a difference it's making to these guys' lives? I, I guess it's giving them a future in it potentially. Yeah, I think uh, anybody who's uh, had door what they thought was potentially doors closed and then find out that they're open is going to appreciate it more than there are thousands of people out there on the street who have no disabilities, who have never considered giving flying a go because whatever excuses they've got, well, these guys have got disabilities and they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. and they will and I have absolutely every confidence in them they'll be as good as anybody else they have to be to pass the test at the end they're going to have the same test as everybody else there's no allowances for that I don't uh, let them get away with anything because it's too important to get it right uh, do you think most of them have the potential to go on to be flying instructors uh, well that's a personality thing as well that would be uh I, I suppose that's where any disabilities might be more of a problem because you need anyway to be an instructor you couldn't be short-armed let's put it that way because you're flying from the back seat yeah. and it's quite heavy so if you've got one arm and you know that might be harder much harder from the mm -hmm. back fixed wing no problem but flex wing I I would reserve judgment on that. Whereas um, if, you've, if the legs are disabled and you've got long enough arms and properly trained and you can pass the instructor test, then I suppose so. I haven't really thought about that far ahead as mm -hmm. to he would make an instructor and he wouldn't yeah. sort of, you know, because um, one step at a time. But I know that is one of the goals, if they can. So that would be great. Have you thought about going to Antarctica? Or you I, not am, been, I am on it. Going, I yeah, yeah, I'm, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, assuming we get all the sponsors that we need. Yeah, but we, John Leighty and James, have really uh, 
done very well with sponsorship so far so we only need to clinch a few more for the aircraft I think we're there it's really happening he's opening a lot of doors isn't he John I was just chatting to him earlier and you know he's talking to all sorts of princes and yep yeah he doesn't mind who he talks to and um, <laughs> I think the big one now is clinching the fuel uh, better not say who it is at the moment uh, the fuel for the trip mm -hmm. yeah. obviously whoever gets that sponsorship will get lots of advertising but and then um, we need to we would like to purchase more aircraft yeah we've ordered one Pulsar and I think we'd like to order three or four more so the more people we can get going there so are you happy not to go to the actual pole or are you determined to get there i'm motivated by getting them to the pole good uh you know if i actually don't step foot on the south pole okay you know i can live with that mm -hmm. i helped the people who did do it you yeah. know but uh yeah it would be nice to get there but uh, you know if we never got to the south pole and we taught 20 people to fly with that goal in mind it would still be worthwhile mm -hmm. I wouldn't go away thinking that was a waste of time because already you know I'm sure it's changing their lives and opening doors have you ever done anything remotely adventurous like this before I've flown in 16 countries so right. far from Australia to India and most European countries and Libya and so on so reasonable mate all sound nice and warm those ones <laughs> yeah that's true mind you Scotland is not so uh, warm <laughs> true the, uh, that's pretty vicious up there but yeah you're absolutely right I mean I've lived a lot of my life in hot countries so uh, that's a bit of a challenge but we got the right kit hopefully yep. so you know as long as you're disciplined apparently you know, so it shouldn't be too bad okay that's great thank you very much Mike thank you Okay, John, what's the latest uh, technology you've got uh, on the Pulsar? Okay, so what we've done is we've taken a standard Pulsar, um, which we've actually got on order through P&M, and the idea is we're modifying the wing and the trike um, for cold weather testing next January. Uh, we already have the wing in manufacture. Um, it has a special uh, union flag undercover, which I'm hoping remains exclusive to us, but I'm sure they've got lots of orders. Um, but the wing itself, what we're looking to do is just change the way it's all fixed. So, for instance, where you have bolt and... Uh, I'm not sure what you call those. <laughs> he says looking at them. Like a ring but, clip, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, bolts and ring clips and wing nuts we're, we're doing away with, and we're replacing them with titanium push pins. So they're being made for us by EADS Innovation Works in Bristol, and the engineers in their own time are kind of modifying the wing for us, ready for Antarctica. The idea of going to push pins is that obviously anything like a wing nut or a, a circlip clipping that you could drop, if it drops in the snow, is going to disappear forever. So having a push pin in is great. They're being designed out of titanium because titanium's got great thermal properties. If you touch it actually in the cold, it doesn't retain the cold that, that badly. Um, and the other thing that they're doing with the push pin, unlike the push pins people will be uh, used to in the, the flex wing, you know, the, the top of the, the wing, our uh, push pins are actually going to have a, almost like a big saucer plate dish on the top mm. that allows you to modify them with gloves. That kind of pins the wing together. The other thing that we're doing is looking at the uh, technology in terms of the wing fabric. And we're doing some cold weather testing, hopefully later this year, with Kinetic um, down at... Uh, 
Boscombe Down. Um, so down at the te- kinetic test chamber at Boscombe Down. So we can actually take the microlite down, down there, stick it in a cold chamber and take it down to sort of minus 60, leave it there for a while. And key for us is just to make sure that the Dacron over a long period of time holds its, you know, its tensile strength and BETS test and all the rest of it. We're not too worried about that because, of course, it's used with um, sailing ships that go down to Antarctica all the time. Pod-wise, um, we're taking a standard Pulsar pod, um, but what we are doing is looking just obviously to add our standard disability mods of brake, handbrake, throttles, etc. Um, and then we're looking at redoing the undercarriage so that we can take the wheels off and bolt on some snowboards. And again, EADS are making us a very special low-weight uh, titanium alloy um, mounting bracket. Uh, which probably weighs less than the, uh, the ski itself that you put on the bottom of the wheel. So we'll probably see quite a big uh, cost saving when we take the pulsar wheels off, brakes off, and uh, replace it with that, which is good for us. Other things which seem less technical, but are actually quite clever, um, the spats that we've got on pulsar, if you've noticed a bit like bat wings, they're quite big. We're actually having them made into a storage area, because yeah. of course we've got no wheel in it, uh-huh. so we're going to have storage spats on top of skis. Um, the carbon fibre body of uh, Pulsar is also useful for us. We're going to kind of make up special body panels. And again, EADS are able to 3D print in plastic um, the components for that. So we can make up temporary test moulds that will make us you know, special mouldings that look like they're fitted for Pulsar in pretty low numbers. And things that we'll be doing there is kind of putting ducts on so that we can put heaters on to start the engine in the cold. Again, special storage areas. And it's worth going back to the titanium bits I started with. That, amazingly, is also being 3D printed. I can't believe you can print 3D titanium. Um, basically, you can have a, I've seen it. It's very impressive. It's a very large vat of powdered uh, sort of titanium uh, alloy powder. And a laser runs over the top of it and literally fuses together the individual uh, granules or a molecular level to create a casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a casting without a cast body. The, the amazing thing is the types of shapes you can make um, so, you know, they've done this before for kind of uh, Red Bull Air Racing uh, pilots, uh, Formula One race cars, and the kind of structures you get out look organic. You couldn't physically make them an, under a, a normal machining practice or casting practice. It's just amazing to see what they do. Advantage of that, we get a very, very strong, very, very light component, mm-hmm. um, which ticked a box with Richard Meredith Hardy because um, it meant he didn't have to attack it with a drill or a, or a saw. <laughs> and that's really about it. I suppose, obviously, other things we're looking at and um, we've got EADS looking at our wiring loom and pipes and things I've talked about in the past um, which will be no good for prolonged periods of time in Antarctica but they're kind of minor to some of the bigger mods we're going to make. In terms of sponsorships since we last spoke you've got Royal Patronage. Uh, well it's not technically patronage although you could argue the uh, you can argue the de- the definition of patronage is when you're given money so yes uh, Prince Harry has bought us our next uh, microlite which will be the Pulsar and also has funded some of the guys through flight training here in the UK and that's come through the Royal um, Foundation for the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and Prince Harry's Endeavour Fund which is there really to support injured service guys um, through rehabilitation and post-rehabilitation training activities. Um, so I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to call them a patron yet okay. um, but he is you know, rumoured to be coming flying with us in the new year um, and hopefully we might see uh, Kate and Will in an aircraft as well, you never know. Great stuff. And uh, the fuel, is that uh, paid for yet? Well, fuel-wise, we are speaking to fuel sponsors. We've had some initial conversations. Uh, you know, it's looking good. If we, if we could land fuel, we've actually got enough 
um, support at the moment in terms of money and aircraft to do the polar expedition. We would do it with two aircraft. We would um, roll, if you like, sell on our GTR trainer, replace it with a Pulsar, and we've got two aircraft and we can go. With support from some of the other companies like EADS, that, that, that would be a possibility. Of course, it would be a very small expedition and wouldn't take as many wounded, injured and sick guys as we want. So between now and deployment in December, it's all a big push about raising money, raising awareness of what we're trying to do and securing more sponsors. But yes, yeah, certainly a, sp a fuel sponsor now would mean we could definitely go. And that's probably the, the, the winner for us in terms of where we are. And the target number of aircraft now? Well, between five and eight, which is just greediness, <laughs> I, I figure that no one else should be able to buy Pulsar and we should be the biggest customer. Um, I'm thinking that we'll probably, the, the plan currently is to look at five. However, we're taking on more wounded, injured and sick service guys later this year. Five seems a reasonable number with our plan that we've currently got. But, you know, with our deployment option, the, taking lots of microlites isn't a problem. And maybe we take eight and not all of them get to the pole, but some act as support aircraft. But yeah, probably five. And uh, you're happy it's all going to plan on target? Uh, it's never on plan. And we've never got enough money and we've never got enough support and we've never got sponsors when we need them. Um, what's going well and what is on target is our, our guys. So the guys we're putting through training are cranking out the hours. Um, as people will know if they've read the BMA magazine, you know, uh, Corporal Alan Robinson is now finished and qualified and is now training to be an AFI. And we've got other guys literally, you know, queuing up to go solo. So what's going well is the bit that's really important with what we do, which is the flying training. You know, we'll never have enough money for Antarctica and we'll never have enough equipment when we need it. That's just how these things work. Um, but yeah, we'll get there. Great stuff. Thanks again, John. No, thank you. Thanks for coming down. Well, it all seems to be progressing well. Uh, the team have their first Pulsar on order from P&M Aviation. The next big hurdle, I believe, is to source uh, a fuel sponsor. And that's um, a biggie, really. Uh, as you can imagine, most of the cost of the expedition will be in fuel. Uh, so we, we wish them all well, and uh, we'll keep popping back for updates uh, as the project evolves. Don't forget you can support the podcast by clicking on some of the links on the Flying Podcast website at flyingpodcast.co.uk or maybe order something uh, aviation-related via one of the Amazon links on the site too. Well, that's it for another episode. If you have any good ideas or would like to appear on the, uh, on the Flying Podcast, send me an email to steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. And as ever, thanks for listening. <laughs>